It's game on for GameFi as billions of dollars are riding on the future of electronic gaming. As the industry gets more crowded, what does it take to rise above the rest and attract new players? I think that we have to go back to basics for games. Games have to be primarily fun, then you earn. When you flip that, then what you're, what, what you're attracting is you're attracting speculators, right? and they are not gamers by nature. And what are institutional investors betting on when they invest in crypto games? Coming up, Word on the Block on Location with Lee Napfu, CEO and co-founder of Singapore-based GameFi startup Ethless, joining in to dive deep into those topics and a whole lot more. Did you know that one in three people in the world are gamers and the gaming industry is set to hit $200 billion in revenue by 2024? And yet only a fraction of these gamers are in Web 3.0 gaming. So where are they and when are they coming? Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and all the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here on Forecast News. I'm Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, today we are in conversation with Wing Yap Fu. He is CEO and co-founder of the gaming venture Atlas, which just got its start a few months ago. And we welcome to the show. It is great to see you. Um, it's a really interesting time to sit down with you. Uh, you are a former head of technology for a decacorn as they say uh, in the biz, um, for Grab here in Singapore. And now you're doing something very different. A little bit. Very different. A little, A little different. Yeah. Still in technology, but certainly in the future. Tell us what you're doing. Thank you, Angie, for the introductions. Um, what we're doing is we're trying to build a layer zero for games uh, in the future, right? And I say future because games have existed for decades, right? Uh, and there are many, many very popular, very great studios. The difference though is they have never been able to crack two things, right? The first is how do you marry the financial aspects into the economy, right? Most of the games are standalone games. Their economy is contained. When you earn something in game, it's not liquid, right? It's not cash, right? Uh, it's just tokens, like uh, virtual things. Uh, and, and DeFi or crypto, when it meets games, it suddenly unlocks this capability, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about it as, as we go, go through the, the interview. The second thing is interoperability. And this is something that I'm, I'm particularly passionate about. So as a gamer, like let's say you invest four years of your life in a game, let's call it Clash of Clans, right? And you get really good at it. And one day you decide, hey, look, you know, I kind of like to play, you know, Candy Crush these days, right? What happens to everything in there? You lose everything, yeah. right? You start from scratch. And that's because assets are not interoperable, mm -hmm. right? And, and this is one of the biggest, biggest pet peeve of any gamers out there. Just go, what if levels, experience, items, rare things that I own in one game be, be transferred exactly right and and that is why i think that the future of gaming is is actually really really bright and that the the concept of you know blockchain meets games meets finance when you mash that together it could be the start of a new digital economy and we we call this space gamefi mm -hmm. uh, and it is getting to be a very crowded space what makes you different? What's the thesis that differentiates what you're doing at Atlas versus 
kind of the decimated, (laughs) you know, environment that that we Mm, see mm. in Axie Infinity and others. Right, right, right. So so it's it's two things uh, in my mind, right? If you draw sort of an X and Y axis. The first one is whether you're building a single title game or you're building a platform, right? A single title game would be an Axie Infinity. A platform would be something closer to a Roblox or a Steam, right? And we are closer to the platform angle. And a lot of that builds on the marketplace builder experience that, you know, myself and my co-founders have had through the years, right? Uh, We came from large consumer tags. We know how to build platforms. We know how to build marketplaces, right? So so that's one. The second axis is, is it free to play or is it pay to play, right? And and it sounds sounds trivial, but I want to bring us back to the history of games. If all of you remember how games or even just movies started, right? It was always paywalled at the start, right? You want to watch a movie, right? Uh, You want to watch Matrix. Uh, They'll say, okay, go rent it off Blockbuster, right? Uh, Or if you want to play a game, they'll say, go buy the CDs, right? uh, I remember when I was young, uh, you wanted to play a game called StarCraft, which was the hottest game. They would be like, no, nobody can play unless you go pay 40 bucks to buy the CDs, right? And then games discovered this very simple yet powerful tool. They said, what if games were free? But eventually, if they like what they see, if they're having fun, you, you give them in-game purchases, right? You tell your loyal supporters that if they like what they're playing, if they want to support the developers, if they want to sort of get, get you know, cute skins and, and digital goods, go pay inside the game. But we will not block you having your first experience at the get-go. So this transition from free to uh, pay to play to free to play was what really unlocked the gaming market to the size it is today, right? There's like two and a half billion gamers today. And, and it's because most people actually don't want to pay upfront fees. They just go, let me experience what you're talking about. Let me have fun. Then let's talk about the money. Right? And, and people do like that concept. Right? The problem with the current generation of game buys is that they are trying to do what games uh, in the web tool world have learned won't scale, right? mm-hmm. which is they try to make you spend before you play. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you think about titles like Star Atlas or mm-hmm. Axie Infinity or, or, or Pegasus, yeah. what is the first prerequisite? You, you have to buy, buy to exactly. play, pay to play. Correct. You have to play buy to something. Exactly. Yeah. And and of course they would say, oh, this is because the economics have to make sense, right? Uh, that you know you gotta if you want to earn, you gotta sort of pay money first. But inherently, uh, that has been the criticism of projects like Axie Infinity. You know this kind of allegation of a Ponzi scheme structure where you have to pay in before you know the other players who have been there originally mm-hmm. get the earn out. That structure is changing. Obviously, it has to, but th- that's that's the criticism of it is, these it is. type of structured games. O- also, you create this walled garden where you don't attract the masses, right? So, if you took every single game file out there and you summed up its users, it is about forty million people, right? Mm-hmm. Not not a small amount, but not great, right? But if you think about how many gamers are there in the the web two world, the real world, it's two and a half billion. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's always something that you know I like to talk to my team, to our strategists about, which is yeah. I call this the mystery of the missing gamers. Right. Yeah. Where is the other two point four billion yeah. people? The migration right? is not happening. Correct. Because, but one of the big things that that we're also observing mm-hmm. is that it's almost it's almost like the OGs in the Web two space they want to preserve their 
status there. They, they don't want to get into the NFTs. In fact, that they have pushed back against a lot of these gaming companies mm. that have said, let's do an NFT, let's launch this, let's launch that. And the backlash from their own gamers were phenomenal. Indeed, indeed. And I would say this, at the end of the day, consumer companies follow what their consumers want, right? Uh, at some point, if enough people who play World of Warcraft tell Blizzard they want an NFT version, Blizzard will give them an NFT yeah. version, right? The, 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 the reason why there's so much backlash is because the consumers don't want to play Axie, right? The, the problem is if you took the money away from GameFi today, would people still play it? And I think that is the uncomfortable elephant in the room What's question. What's the answer in your view? The answer is no. People, if there was no money to be earned, people will not play the current breed of games mm. on GameFi. Mm -hmm. And and it's no criticism to them. I think you know a lot of them are peers, are good friends. I, I actually deeply respect what they've built. So what you're saying is the value proposition is the money, not necessarily the fun. It game. is not the fun. They yeah. they have not cracked fun. And in my mind, fun is four things, right? Fun is achieving. You're able to achieve complex puzzles, get, get badges. It is socializing, that people have fun engaging and, and building communities. It is killing, PvP, feeling that you're better than, than somebody else. Uh, and, and, and that, I think, you know, a lot of the, the Web3 games do quite well. And the last bit is uh, exploring, right? Um, and most, most of the case, games in the GameFi space have not cracked this code. Games in the Web2 space have, right? Think about, think of uh, uh, Legends of Zelda, Breath yeah. of the Wild, right? It's an immersive open space. You can talk to people, you can trade. There's an intricate economy. Yeah. People go there because they're having fun, not because they're paid to, to play, right? And so I think that earning as a concept for, for gamers, for the digital economy, is a good one. It's a powerful one. But it cannot be the be-all and all. Mm -hmm. You know, I know a guy who is on level 28,000 on Candy Crush. I don't know how many years he has spent on it, but let's just say- I didn't even know there was a level 28,000. There was. Uh, and, and, and let's just say that the reason he's spending all that time is not because Candy Crush is paying him 20 cents a day, right? So like, I think that we have to go back to basics for games. Games have to be primarily fun, then you earn. When you flip that, then what you're, what, what you're attracting is you're attracting speculators. Right? And they are not gamers by nature. And why did you call it Atlas, actually? Ah, great question. Uh, my my, my co-founder, who is also my brother, uh, named it, actually. So Atlas is actually a, a, a merge of two words, right? Ethereum, because we are built on the Ethereum uh, protocol. Uh, actually, a, a derivative of the Ethereum protocol, but still EVM compatible. And Atlas, meaning software. You know, a space, a world, uh, and, and we merged that. We just, we wanted to build a world of worlds, right? So, so that's kind of where the name derived from. A world of worlds. And what does your mother think that both of you are neither doctors or lawyers? <laughs> and both of you are in gaming. I mean, uh, I'm yes, teasing uh, you a little bit, but you know, it's the mm, Asian, it is, the it Asian is. parents, uh, you my, know, my, my, my mom did call my sister up when she heard <laughs> that I was quitting my job. And she's like, I don't know what he's doing, but are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? She didn't call you she up. Didn't call, because she, she, I, I've always sort of followed my heart, right? You know, funny story. Uh, when I was in college, um, 
there was this point uh, where I, I almost quit college, right? Uh, I was quite obsessed with this game called Dota 2. It's very big in the region. And uh, me and my crew, we, uh, it's a 5v5, right? And me and my crew were actually really good at it, right? And we, you know, we always sort of go, you know, what if we went pro, right? The world's our oyster. And so we actually talked ourselves into almost quitting school. We were like, you know what? We're going to join this like Singapore qualification for the for the for the global tournaments. We're going to kill it, and we're just going to quit our school. Cause like, who wants to go to school, right? You know, the future is in gaming. <laughs> and uh, and let's just say that I went to that tournament, and and you know we got our ass handed to us, right? Multiple times, in fact. <laughs> they were just people with just better instincts, better reaction times, younger, more dedicated, and and we came back very dejected, right? We were just like, oh man, uh, and and so we continued our studies, uh, and you you know, here I am myself in a, in a technology role. But you know, all things considered, probably would have been, is a, it, it was a better outcome for me than the alternative. So <laughs> that that's kind of a little story about myself. But I've, I've always sort of gone, build something and do great things, right? Mm -hmm. and, and for me, what I was, what, what drives me is creating an impact, right? Mm -hmm. Creating a le lasting legacy. The same reason I enjoyed Google, the same reason I joined Grab. And so uh, when, when I thought about what I wanted to do next, it was two things, right? Number one, I've spent, you know, I spent seven years at Grab. Uh, it was a, a great run, a great chapter, the company IPO'd. Um, and, and I felt like I needed to go back to my roots. And some of my roots was, even this pre-Grab, I always told myself, I'm gonna build a startup one day, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't sure what, but I'm gonna mm -hmm. do something, right? Uh, the second is a little bit, a little bit more personal. Um, a good friend of mine uh, who worked with me at Grab for many years, uh, he passed away from cancer, right? Um, uh, and and it, it really sort of hit me from a sort of a the the how just how 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 mortal we all are, mm -hmm. right? And I just go, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, it's been a good run. If you're going to do anything, you should do it now or you should do it soon, right? And and incidentally, uh, Game Fire at that time really blew up. And 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 we we didn't actually go in wanting to do games. Yeah, um, here's the funny story. Uh, initially, Atlas was actually supposed to be a DeFi platform. Mm. We were actually going to do loans, uh, mm. like loans for like the underprivileged students. Mm. Um, and we had a we had a pool set up. We had all the yield farming mechanics set up. And we realized that uh, it it wasn't it wasn't number one, sustainable unit economics. And number two, we, we, did, we, didn't, we weren't really feeling it, right? Mm. And so uh, what happened was, uh, you know, in our free time, while we were jamming about how could we sort of make that idea better, uh, my brother actually sort of created a little game uh, on, on a website. And, and it was just for us to sort of just, you know, uh, take, take, take a break, right? Every time uh, we're, we're working hard on something. And suddenly we realized that people were playing that game that we didn't know who they were, right? It was just a public website. Someone, like people found it, right? And, and one day the game crashed because it was never our bread and butter, right? And people pinged us and they were like, hey, look, it's a game coming back up, right? And these were like hyper casual games. In fact, if you go to Atlas, that game still exists. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a game called 2048. Uh, it's a little game where you just are, Get the blocks to, to merge together, and 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 at that point, like you know, my brother was just like, "Wait a minute, right? Like if something's yeah, happening, exactly. If there are people pinging you about a product that is pre-launch uh, and there's demand for it, maybe there's something, right? And and as we dug into it, we realized that there was this whole game five scene going on. Uh, not exactly what we were trying to build because we we took a very big bet on things like platforms, on things like hyper casual games, on things like the next billion users, but like. It was all sort of in the same sort of, if you sort of squint, loosely in the same category of going, take games, 
take blockchain and mash it up, right? Yeah. Um, and so for us, what Atlas became was it became, uh, we, we were convinced that there, were, there was this one single and simple mission statement we wanted to achieve, right? Which is we wanted to use games to onboard the next billion users into crypto, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's because we just felt that there were just so few legitimate gamers on, on, on crypto. And more importantly, there were just so few people full stop, right? Uh, you know, just to quote a stat, uh, all of blockchain combined has 340 million people, right? And, uh, and that's less than 1% of the global uh, human population. And, 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 and as somebody who has scaled uh, apps to hundreds of millions and billions of people, I understood why it's important for disruptive technologies to have mass market adoption. Because technology uh, ring fence or siloed to only a small amount of people is not disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. Disruption, think about the internet, think about electricity, yep. think about railroads. They only became valuable when the mass market could consume them in bite-sized ways. What's interesting is the, the transfer of knowledge that you have in the Southeast market, mm. you know, what people actually want when it, they want to experience something that they want to get on their phone or their, you know, or online. How do you transfer the knowledge that you've had as former head of technology at Grab to what you're doing today? Mm. Great question. Great question. So, um, there are some key lessons and, or key big bets we're taking uh, in how we're structuring Atlas that is very deviant from how GameFi think about things today, right? So, for example, you know, our, our main population uh, on Atlas today is Brazil, followed by uh, India, followed by the Philippines. And they, they all share this sort of mass market, emerging economy, and... and huge potential kind of demographics, right? And so the first thing we did for Ethos is we said, we're not gonna launch an app, okay? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, would shock many people, right? Mm -hmm. We are 100% browser-based, mm -hmm. <laughs> true technology, we are, and you know, just, just a familiarity with the Chromium stack. We said, if you're gonna get a billion people, they don't wanna download something, right? Mm -hmm. They kind of wanna be able to play, they wanna immerse, and maybe eventually they want an app, but not in their first entry point, mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing. The second thing we did was we said every good thing that uh, has happened to, to, to humanity has to have some free element, right? If you want mass market, you have to render a service of value add, but not charge for it. And mm -hmm. so uh, we, we, we set ourselves up to be free to play. Uh, and this was back in December, right, where every game was going, I will sell you an NFT before you can enter my ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? And the third thing that, that, that we learned from just experiences in Grab and all is how do you think about things that you and I may not care about, but the average mass market consumer may, right? So for example, uh, not everyone has an iPhone, right? Um, you know, if you are in Brazil and you're catering to the mass market, Android phones are the dominant phone, right? Performance is a thing. Storage space is a thing. Right? And, and, and so how, how we optimize our app, how we think about latencies, even what kind of games, right? Um, instead of building a triple A title where uh, you make someone sit in front of a desktop and grind for four hours, we said, we are going to augment your human experience, mm -hmm. right? We're going to fill up the moments in between. So imagine if you are a delivery driver waiting for an order at Din Tai Fung, right? Mm -hmm. It's a two hour queue. Mm -hmm. uh, you would maybe be browsing TikTok. Now you can just play Atlas and maybe earn a dollar or two, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you're a student waiting for your bus, right? Fill up the moments in between. 
let's say you are a a a a a a, a housewife just going look i could be playing candy crush or i could be playing a version of candy crush where it's fun it's social but you know it exposes me to crypto and tokens and i learned a little bit about that and that's kind of like our value prop right we deeply understand the fact that people don't want to change their lives 180 before they embrace a, a piece of technology they want a the technology to blend into their lives they see the value of it then they say okay you know give me more of that right what more do i need to do do i need to create a wallet uh do i need to figure out how to go to an exchange to change the tokens but don't don't front load that right and so a lot of like the the thesis and the mental models that we put into atlas is fundamentally driven by this idea that we understand what a billion people yeah. would like right yeah so for for those who are watching right now we're in singapore What is so different from Southeast Asia and the and understanding the market that is going to potentially set this region apart especially for startups who understand this space versus maybe a Europe or mm. a US. <clears throat> I think it's the fact that we're just close to a lot of high potential markets, right? If you looked at um, a stat that I like to quote a lot, if you looked at the top 10 countries with metamask adoption. Southeast Asia is four of the top 10. Yeah. Right? And it's mind-blowing, right? Because it's just like you would think like, you know, it would be America and Canada and France, right? But yeah. it's not, right? It's like, you know, Vietnam and Philippines and Indonesia. And I think it's just because when when societies are 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 growing and they're sort of forming forming their their path to what it means to be a prosperous community. They 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 just more receptive towards adopting new technologies, right? Yeah. And so um, a lot of what we do in the region is just inherently inherently scalable outside, right? Give you an example. We we targeted the Filipino community because we knew the Filipino community they are also very big in the game fight scene, and we say let's build communities for them. Uh, let's uh, let's uh, build games that they like and all. And and this was sort of three months back, right? And all of a sudden, we realized that uh, people in Brazil were playing our games, even though they don't speak English, mm-hmm. and and they were just going. It's not that I can understand exactly every word that's happening, but the lowest common denominator that you've built into the games, right? Ease of use, just intuition, the kind of games that appeal to Filipino communities, that is just transferable to like the mass market in Brazil. And so we build up a huge Portuguese community, even though I have no idea how to speak <laughs> Portuguese. Uh, and, but and we were super proud of our, our Brazilian community, right? But it was that organic, right? And so we were just like, when you build great products, you don't even have to speak the language, right? Everybody is speaking the same language of ease of use of That's crypto. It's the Tower of Babel moment for GameFi. It is a little bit of that. It, it is, is the universal language that transcends language. Institutionals are coming into this space. There's some big time investors who believe in Atlas, but they're also making a bet on this region and here in Asia. Why do you think that is? I think it's a couple of reasons, right? Number one is the tech scene, the technology scene in uh, Southeast Asia. I feel is really frothy, right? Uh, there's there's far more talent in the region than there was when you know I first started Grab seven years ago. There are far more startups that are starting, and more importantly, people are recognizing that in the past, if you had a very brilliant Singaporean data scientist or a very brilliant Vietnamese engineer, they would just go to the valley. But now they're going, hey, you know what? 
I like my region, my family's here, and maybe I want to do a startup here or join a startup here, right? And I think all of that coalesce into this, 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 this perfect moment of going, this is going to be like the Silicon Valley of the 80s but mm-hmm. for Southeast Asia and Asia, right? And I think, you know, uh, Beijing got that moment uh, with, with, with the, the rise of the BATs, right? Um, and, and obviously the Valley has just been well known for startups, but I think innovation is hitting and capital is hitting and, and uh, talent is hitting, right? And that's- What are you hearing from your investors and, you know, Sequoias in, who, who else are, who are circling this space that you've been, uh, you know, tapped with capital? Mm-hmm. And what are they exploring? So uh, uh, our lead investors involve, uh, include Sequoia, uh, include uh, Dragonfly Capital, include Makers Fund. Uh, they, they, they are very trusted partners. We, we are very blessed to have them on our cap table. Uh, on top of that, uh, there, there are actually quite a lot of players who are interested in the space, right? We are speaking to everything from sovereign funds to um, Web3 VCs to gaming funds to even um, you know conversations with a cert- certain and I cannot disclose, but like certain uh, government government linked companies, right? Who go, hey, look, uh, we take an active, uh, we like how you guys take an active role in uh, promoting Singapore as a HQ, right? We like uh, you taking an active role of saying you don't have to go to the valley to build a a respectable startup. What can we do to help, right? Uh, is it capital? Is it strategic? Uh, collapse? Is it partnership? And so um, I actually think that Web3 for the first time is not value centric, right? Mm-hmm. Not like there, there were many waves of technology disruption where it, it was always like, you know, come to where the action is, right? But if you look at Web3, where is the action? It's in Lisbon, Portugal. It's in Dubai. It's in Singapore. And it's, it's, it's some of it's in India and China, right? And I actually think that the decentralization nature of Web3 actually really spill over into the real world, right? People are just going, we can build companies anywhere. And they do, right? And I think that that's pretty cool. Not only is it pretty cool, it really represents the next phase of growth. There is, as you've said, this brilliant moment that coalesces so many things. You have emerging markets, you have uh, emerging uh, developing nations that are seeing technology as a leapfrog moment. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of it, you have a lot of capital looking for growth. And if you're going to achieve a billion people and find those missing gamers from two and a half billion to, you know, 40 million, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of upside here. There is. And it's, uh, it's this moment. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think your mother can be proud of you both. Even if you're not a doctor or a lawyer. Thank you. Thank you. She has a lot of concentration risks in the family right now. Uh, but, you know, as, as the DJ say, we are all going to make it. We're all going to make it. And thanks for making it. And thank you, everyone, for making it to this latest episode of Word on the Block. I'm Angie Lau, Editor-in-Chief of Forecast. Until the next time.